Hello, and welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. With me as always, we got John. Oh, man, it feels a lot different from when we last recorded. The Kings were up 2-0 in the series at that point. Draymond Green was suspended for Game 3. Everything was looking up. And now the Warriors, after going back to Golden State, the Warriors won two straight to even up the series. And now we've recently learned that Darren Fox has broke his index finger on his dominant hand and is now doubtful to play in Game 5. So it's crazy <laughs> how much things can change in one week. But hey, hope's not lost yet. And we still had a tie game. It's a tie series, I mean, and still three games left, two at home. John, how are we feeling? I would first point to the old wisdom that is used time and time again for good reason, that a series does not start until a road team wins. And it's a best of three series now. And, you know, just protect your home court and the Kings will be fine. And, you know, Fox is going to play, right? I mean, from what I've read, and let me just read the report out that Wojnarowski, Waj, if I said it wrong, Wojnarowski, Adrian, (laughs) we should just call him Adrian. Yeah, Adrian. Adrian. Yeah, just say it and then do it in the Sylvester Stallone voice. Yeah, I mean, that'd be perfect. But so basically the report from Waj is that the King's Guardian Fox fractured the very tip, the very tip of his left index finger in game four. But there's still a hope he will try and play game five. Fox would need to play with a protective covering on the finger. He will be he will be listed as doubtful. So it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, I, I broke this down in three things. He broke the very tip, which makes it seem a little more minor than, you know, actually. I, I mean, I don't know what the tip of your index finger. Well, like, think about it of. this way. Yeah. Just the tip. That's all you need to know. That's not yeah. the real thing. Come on. Yeah, and then secondly, um, well, of course, it's his left index finger, so that's important. He's left-handed. And then it says he will need to play with a protective covering on the finger. Like, what are we talking here? Like, are we talking like, uh, like what do they call it? Like, a splint? Is that what yeah. little finger splints? Like, well, he can't play with that, can he? We were talking about, well, he could play with it. I don't think he'd be able to shoot with it. Yeah, which um, would be. He started, he started three of five from three. And then, like, I think he finished one of six. Mm-hmm. Like, you think that affected his shooting? Probably, oh, right? Of course. That, I mean, because he had such a big first half. And I'm like, man, he really fell off. Um, does it say Does it say when it happened? Not that I see. Let me look up a little more. Let me do a little digging. I didn't see when it happened. All I've seen is during game four. Right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't even thought that Fox had gotten hurt really, from that drop-off that happened in the third quarter. I just thought, you know, in the same way that the Kings have often done to people, you just give a different look to a guy. I don't think, like, Draymond Green shut him down, but you just give him a different look by using Green on him to start that third quarter and really throughout the second half. And I just thought that was kind of, like, the reason why he didn't have a big third quarter because he had a pretty big fourth quarter. Um, yeah, well, okay, um, a little digging, and this isn't anything, like – concrete but it says this guy tweeted anthony slater he has mm-hmm. almost two hundred thousand followers he works for the athletic and covers the warriors so i mean he's credible he says this appears to be the play that darren fox fractured his left finger during uh it looked like it says 435 left in the fourth and on a floater after the whistle so basically uh whistle got blown 
Fox is like, all right, I'm just going to go hit the layup. And Looney kind of like tries to block it, but it looks like Looney clips his finger. And then Anthony Slater also says, this is the first time you see, you see him clutch at his hand. So if this was actually the play, it wasn't until deep into the fourth, which I guess wouldn't <laughs> excuse his third quarter. But you said 435 in the fourth? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? The video plays and the sound just comes on so loud. <laughs> Is it on the shot or the foul? Which one? Well, I don't think he's sh- from the play. I don't. Oh, wait. Never mind. I clicked on the wrong one. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes up for a layup after the whistle, and Looney is not going to let him just make a layup. So he just – it wasn't, like, malicious or anything. He just yeah. swatted at it. But that kind of looks like if just off of watching it once, it kind of looks like maybe that had already been bothering him. That's fair. That's true. I don't know. The, the the play that I watched where he where I clicked the wrong one <laughs> just there, uh, he kind of like you could see him kind of like, you know, like if you were looking for it, you could kind of notice that maybe he's not necessarily nursing it, but he kind of like put it up to his side. That like now that I was looking for an injury on his left side, you know, like maybe that had something to do with it. So I don't know. Maybe it happened then, or I guess yeah. I'd say it's still kind of up in the air, right? Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any definitive moment when it happened. Maybe something will come out later, um, and we'll can. But I don't doubt Slater that that's maybe the first time it's visible though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, and then the last part part I was kind of talking about with. Um, like analyzing that tweet by Raj is that he will be listed as doubtful, almost like they have to list him as doubtful. I, I don't know how the injury report works. I mean, I, I don't know if you, I, I know you have to list people as certain things, but is it because he has a fracture that they have to list him as doubtful or are the Kings doing it? Don't, I don't know. It just, the, the wording is weird. Like he will be listed as doubtful instead of like, he's doubtful to play. It just mm-hmm. maybe it's just the language it's written in. I don't know if it means anything like else. Like it has a hidden meaning. Like yeah, they're gonna have to list him as doubtful, but because he's not gonna practice today or something or tomorrow. I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Yeah, I I, I, I don't know because I know football might it has like they're like well if he doesn't play today then he has to be listed as questionable. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. how it works in basketball. I don't know because when Sabonis hurt his thumb, he was questionable. Which is doubtful is a to step down. It's yeah. like worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I don't know, but I just feel like that kind of ends up being irrelevant because it just feels like he's gonna play. But the the issue that we kind of glazed over a little bit was that splint or protection or whatever on his, on, on the tip of his finger. <laughs> the protection um, on the tip. Yeah. yeah, 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 on the of his finger. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it would be like some kind of plastic splint or something. Because we were talking about that again with Sabonis's thumb. It just seems like it would be some kind of plastic splint with some tape. Um, but that would make jump shooting very difficult. Like impossible at that point. Yeah. Even, I mean, even layups would be difficult with anything around your index finger. If we're talking pinky or maybe even ring finger, like different. But I mean, the, the middle finger, that's, I mean, it's a lot. That's like... <laughs> It's the second most important <laughs> finger than the thumb, right? I mean, yeah. you, you do your spin with it. You do your release with it. It's the usually the last or second to last uh, finger to touch the ball, especially in a jump shot or on a layup. Um, mm-hmm. 
it kind of gives that the ball its direction. So I don't know. Like I, I'm very like it's weird. The very tip. Like I just want to know. Like where do they? <laughs> like the very tip to me is like a centimeter on your finger, right? Like your nail almost, like less than your nail, like your nail bed. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of confusing to me. And how do you break that? The thing about the hand I'm looking, I just looked up like an anatomy chart of like a hand and the hand seems a lot less complex than the foot because the foot has all sorts of different bones. Yeah. But the hand just kind of seems like it's a, it's simple. It's almost just like every, every knuckle you have, it's just a different, I don't know. Now I'm looking at this for, I'm not a, <laughs> I've never gone to medical school, but it seems like you get more complicated in the wrist area. It seems like the fingers are pretty straightforward. You have like kind of the, the very tip of it and then kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Like it just it seems like where every knuckle is maybe halfway at the very top though. There's kind of like a break maybe at the fingernail, like you were saying. So that could be more considerable than that sounds actually. Cause that could actually be like an eighth of the finger right there. See yeah. what I'm saying? No, but again, I, I, what the what the hell do I know? But that's just <laughs> my uh, cursory assessment. But I was kind of thinking about like scenarios of how the Kings can handle this. One, he plays on on Tuesday or sorry Wednesday, um, and that's that. He plays like, and we'll figure out. We'll see how he plays, but he'll play. Second, where he doesn't play, and you not play him, and he you kind of just hope that they don't like like you're we're at home. Warriors are terrible on the road. Do you, do you try to get lucky with him not being there? But it's like, then at that point, it's like, well, if they lose, I mean, you kind of assume he would play game six, but it's like, how, like, is it really going to heal that much in like four days? Um, yeah, it's not going to get any better. If it's a, any kind of break in the bone or any, it takes several weeks to at least get a little better. I feel like a week. I mean, like if he had a week before, like if this was before another series or something, and he had like close to a week. That'd be great, but I don't even think that would make that much of a difference. But like, let alone a few days. I don't know. It's it's just interesting. I think he'll play. I don't see Fox just start sitting out these games, uh, especially in his first playoff trip and in such a critical game at two two at home too. Or it's like, okay, let's take advantage of this. Um, but it, it is a major blow because it's definitely a setback for him. With it being on his dominant hand, I just have to wonder just how much it's going to affect his jump shooting and honestly, just his play in general, like passing and layups and everything. So, I mean, it, it definitely won't help, but yeah, he played on a foot bruise for like a month. <laughs> I think he'll play. Yeah. Um, I know that's a completely different injury, but kind of going off of that though, I mean, what. What do you think? I mean, it sounds like a couple of guys are going to obviously have to step up. First of all, though, I think you're going to have to see Fox. So I guess on the question of him being a liability, I don't really worry about that too much unless he tries to shoot on it or something like that. And it's just like being really inefficient because of the injury. But I feel like we've seen him do a mix of different things during this series. And I think he can really kind of hone in and be a nice, be in a nice tandem with Davion Mitchell. Obviously, you know, Davion's Davion, but Fox has been so good at that, especially in the first two games at home with the home crowd behind him. 
he was really good at that. And I feel like he could, he could still make an impact there. You can still try to get downhill. It'd be interesting to see how much his just feel for the ball on handles, or like you said, on layups and things at the rim, how that'll be different. So I guess we'll have to wait and see on that, but it still feels like he'll be able to do stuff. Obviously a huge element, especially when games get close and he starts to take over, the Kings are going to have to find a different way to win down the stretch, you know? Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting. You're obviously going to have to expect more from Malik Monk. I think that's the guy that's got to step up in that position. I think that's kind of easy, but I mean, who else do you think? I mean, like, how do you, how do you think they go about this? And do you agree with that assessment of seeing other things from Fox? Like he'll still play a lot of minutes and do stuff. It'll just be far less active on the offensive end. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, you can still play good defense, and he can still run the offense. I don't know. I, I think I think if he really can't shoot and hit a layup, like I, I'm interested. It's more of the layups for me. How how well is how much is this going to affect him from hitting a layup? If it's going to affect him enough, where it's like, oh man, like he's not really he can't really hit these. It's like I don't think he should play because that's just too much of a liability on offense. It's like, all right, why are you out there? I think you just it's going to be four on five offense at that point. Even if he can play defense, it's just like, well, I mean, he's not even a threat at that point. He can't shoot. You're almost baiting him to shoot every point. You can play off him already because he's already not a good shooter. And if he's hurt, it's like, okay, then he can really collapse the paint. Um, I I mean, that's why I'm like, maybe he doesn't play. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying he won't want to play. I don't think it'll be like a pain tolerance thing. I think it's more of, is he going to be able to, to be still be enough of a threat where he's going to draw a presence on offense. I mean, if guys are just going to expect him to try to get as close to the rim and not, you know, pull away and do a fall away jumper or something like that, where he's a little bit more one dimensional in what he might be able to, in how he might be able to get up a shot, that could definitely affect it. But I guess that just, it's such a question of like, how, what the exact effect's going to be. Because obviously, like a layup with it through no traffic, a layup in transition, I feel like he's got it. I feel like yeah, he, he could he could have a whole finger broken and he could still get that in. But it's about you know with Andrew Wiggins guarding you, I mean, that's a little difficult. Kind of going back to your question, yeah, I mean, of course you're going to need Malik to step up and Davion. Those are the obvious guys. They're you know the point guards or guys who can run the offense and get assists. And uh, guards like him. But you know who I really want to see step up? And maybe not just for, I mean, I guess a little, it's, it's just Kevin Herter. And not just in this situation, but obviously he's not been playing well in this series so far. I mean, if he had a little bit of a better game, and we could have won yesterday or on Sunday as well. But he's also a guy who can handle the ball, he can get some assists. Um, guy who can maybe not so much run the offense, but maybe run some plays. Maybe that two-man game with Sabonis and him being at that guard position where Fox plays, he needs to, I think him stepping up would be critical. And and you're also going to lose a lot of the points if Fox isn't going to be playing. He's Fox is currently at 31.5 points a game. I don't know, it's only four games in. Um, that's the third most ever in playoff history, which is kind of cool. I know it's only four games in. But if you're going to lose that scoring load already, and a guy you're not getting really much of a scoring load from is Herter. Like, I'd really want to see Herter step up and really become a threat. Keegan Murray broke out for a great game. 
And one of the things that he said he was able to do, because remember, throughout the whole series, Golden State's played excellent defense, maintained excellent pressure uh, guarding dribble handoffs, which Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter in particular use so much. And that's in large part played into why they've struggled shooting. And Murray said he just had to be a little bit more aggressive, kind of getting through it and trying to get shots up. And meanwhile, what we're talking Kevin Herter, who, what, did he get only one shot up? I don't know. No, he got four. He got one three up. He got okay. one three up. So I don't know if it's an aggression thing or taking the physicality, but he needs to do something to find some space, get an open shot. I mean, they were talking a lot in between games three and four about they feel like they're getting open threes, but they're just not in the rhythm of the offense, which kind of points to the fact that maybe it just herder has got to get an extra dribble in there maybe to get up his threes where he's just not able to get as much space off off those handoffs uh, immediately. So it just seems like Murray fought through it with more aggression, he says. I mean, I just feel like there's got to be able to be an adjustment that Herter can use to do it. And I think with Fox being so limited as we expect him to be, hopefully for the King's sake, that can bring the best out of Herter. But I don't know. They've, they've guarded all the little tricks that he and Domas do so well, it seems. That um, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like early in the season, he earlier in the series rather, he was really good at getting up little mid range shots and whatnot. But that even that's kind of fallen away over the last two games, right? Yeah, he he did it well in game two after his bad game one. It's like okay, he wasn't hitting threes. I think he went two for nine in game three or game two um, from three after even having a worse game one. But he also scores, I think, 15 points by just getting into the paint and trying to score. And he did well in that regard. And you still want to see him be a threat from deep. But yeah, game three and game four, he was... I think game three, he actually still scored like 15, 14 points or so. But game four, I think he was just... I mean, I don't think he was just non-existent. I don't think he played much because of it either. Because it's like, all right, this guy just cannot shoot. And and no, uh, something and also not... for Herder is that he's getting blown by. I feel like I was just going to say... I was going to say, I mean, he needs to, he needs to step it up big, especially after seeing Murray step it up. Like, all right, you're going to let the rookie step up before you, the guy with one of the more um, bigger playoff resumes on this team. You're going to let Murray score 23 before you even can get it flowing again. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that'll motivate him. I don't know. I mean, just kind of on the Fox thing, it's just like 30, he scored 38 and they lost by one point. (sighs) Man, like, where are those points going to come from? Yeah, they're going to have to come from some herder. Some bonus is going to have to do a lot better on the offensive end. He had that good game, too. Um, and he hasn't been terrible. He's also been he's clearly not been the Sabonis that we were used to seeing during the regular season. Um, I get it. Yeah, the Warriors are playing him well. Looney is playing him very well himself uh, down low, but he's got to be better. He's. I don't know. It would be really nice if he could hit a, a mid-range shot. He's been taking a lot, and they're baiting him into it. I feel like the Warriors are baiting the Kings into taking a lot of jumpers, especially with Fox and Sabonis. Um, but it's like we know Sabonis can hit those shots. Maybe not like the highest clip, but if he can just – they're going to give him that that elbow jumper. It's like, dude. Like he made one yesterday or on Sunday. But I don't know. I just think him being able to hit that mid-range a little at a little higher clip will really open it up for him 
But I mean, down low in the post, I feel like he's just been pretty bad. They've had a, they're collapsing on him quickly and he's taking too long to get up a, a shot in the post or Looney's just too strong for him. I mean, maybe not too strong, but just playing in good enough defense where Sabonis can't get to a spot. Yeah, I, I haven't really liked watching him down there so far. So if he can maybe just get that jump shot a little better, I think he can. I mean, I think he can score 30 if you really, I mean, not if you really tried, but if you get that game, that part of the game open from, and maybe you can get some points back that way. Because we all know Sabonis is capable of scoring. Mm-hmm. But we really haven't seen it except in that game, too. And that was just because the Warriors, <laughs> Draymond and Looney, were just in such big foul trouble. I mean, who else is going to be on him? I mean, against Looney, and Looney's look good. Um, Sabonis has had his fair share every now and then. It's just not an efficient way. You're, I, you you get why he's looking for better shots, but it really does. You know, the questions over the last two games have just been like they're giving you those mid-range shots. And I don't think the prescription here is for him to shoot threes, but it's just no. like, man, if he could somehow get in a rhythm just to be able to get down those shots, especially if they're just giving it to him. And I feel like, you know, Fox isn't going to be able to eat as much from the elbow maybe Domas should kind of fill in there. I don't know, but it's just, you hate to, you hate to hang your hat in any way on jump shooting. Are the Kings going to be able to shoot over 40% from three? Is that a reliable thing? I mean, that's not something you want to rely on. That was one of the big worries coming into the series. I feel like. So no, I but they could be shooting better than they are right now. That's true. I mean, like pointing to individual guys. I don't know. Just on Domas, it's just like, we'll see. I mean, he had eight assists in game four. But I think the majority of them came in the first half, and he had like none, maybe like one or two in the second half. And I don't know. It just seems like his whole – he just he, the, the normal mode of operation for him is just so different in this series. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he needs to be quicker in the post. I think when he – I think – I mean, the Warriors are going to throw another guy down there to try to strip him which I think they've done really well. And he's just taken way too long. Like Looney's already a good defender. It's like, if you, if you can't find your spot within two seconds, kick, like kick it out two to three seconds down there, but they're just going to collapse them. And he, that's how he's been turning the ball over a lot. The thing that would, again, to kind of bring it back to Herder and even Barnes, you, you make the Warriors know that you have multiple three point shooting threats out there that helps the spacing so much. Cause you kind of saw it early in the game. I feel like Sabonis went down low and Jordan Poole was guarding Keegan Murray. And Murray might have hit one at that point. I don't think this was his first one. But Jordan Poole kind of stayed down in the paint to help Draymond kind of disrupt Sabonis. And Sabonis just kicked it up to the top to Murray and he got an open three that he sunk. And later in the game, they're not going to give Murray that shot as much. That takes so much pressure off of Sabonis. I mean, obviously. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as much as you want to say, like, either like Sabonis needs to do X, Y, or Z, or the Warriors have done a really good job on Sabonis, it'd be really interesting to see how much it changes if you have multiple three-point shooting threats out there. Because, like, when you think about it, it's like the only people that really shot well from three were like, Fox and Murray, right? Mm-hmm. And Fox usually has the ball in his hands a lot of the times. I mean, now we're talking about with Sabonis out there, but it's just like you get multiple threats out there. It's going to really ease a lot of the pressure 
on Sabonis. I mean, Barnes was one of six from three. Herter, O of one. It's just those those are two guys that need to need to be threats. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it will close down Sabonis' game as well if those guys aren't hitting. But uh, kind of going down the line here, Malik Monk's going to have to step up in this game. And, you know, he you look at the statistical line for him, and he was pretty decent in the sense that he had his 16 points, five rebounds, five assists. That looks great. He did go five of 14, which isn't like eye-poppingly bad, but it's a little inefficient. And one of the reasons for that was, and Mike Brown didn't call Malik Monk out for this, but I just think Malik Monk, like when I heard Mike Brown say this in the press conference, I immediately thought of Malik Monk because there were like immediate examples that came to mind of him doing this. And early on in the press conference, in his opening remarks, Mike Brown was like, there's just too many times where guys are dribbling into two, sometimes three defenders and just putting up some crazy shot and expecting a foul to come his way. And he pointed out like, you know, if I'm a ref with those kinds of shots in the playoffs. I'm not going to blow the whistle. And um, he just kind of was ridiculing the team for complaining too much and looking for foul calls and expecting it kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, the playoffs are more physical and whatnot. And regardless of who's getting calls and who's not getting calls, you can't expect calls in the playoffs. And like I said, I feel like Malik Monk had a few times. Pretty glaringly, it happened late in the game. Mm-hmm. He he took the ball and just dribbled right into it's like three defenders. And if you're watching the TNT broadcast, Doris Burke was pointing out like, "What the hell are you doing?" And uh, rightfully so. It was it's a little over ambitious and over aggressive. And Mike Brown has taken a lot from like Steve Kerr in the sense that you need to play fast but play disciplined. And um, it just was not disciplined. It, it took the total second element of that philosophy out of mind. So there needs to be a little bit more awareness in that regard. And just overall, I mean, like, I don't think it just is Monk. I mean, like you said, you, you see Sabonis kind of complain to the refs a lot. And you saw Fox do it a lot at different points in the series. I mean, throughout the series, he's, he's, he's done it. I mean, it seemed like down the stretch and really all season, he's kind of done it. But I think at a certain point, Mike Brown's gripe with the team was 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 kind of necessary. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, especially that Monk one at the end too, where it's like that was a very important possession, and yeah, he he blew it. He went for the foul call. It was like a two on one too. And then mm-hmm. he was trying to do a fast break by himself, and he was looking for a foul call. But it's like, dude. I think you're down, I think they were down five or so. I think that was right before that Curry timeout mishap. So you, you can't be looking for calls. You, you haven't really seen a ton of them. I mean, in game two was kind of crazy. And I think like you said too, uh, and we were kind of talking about this last week, it's like they're going to go They're going to go back home, the Warriors, and they're gonna, the, st- the calls are going to start going their way. And I'm not saying like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the calls were going the Kings way at home. And then I think they started going the Warriors way a little more when they went home. So maybe they'll be different in game five. They were just too impatient. <laughs> uh, they really thought that, you know, they'd come, come out and brought it after kind of getting hit in the mouth to start game three. First time on the, on the road in a playoff environment. And they just, they were in it the whole time. They, they played very physically and they, they might've honestly been the more physical team, but not by a huge margin. And the, the inexperience and uh, kind of 
of, of making bad shot selections, expecting calls, all these things just really came into play. And I guess like that, that can come out in an optimistic sense as like a massive lesson. Got Well, they got that out of the way, you know? Yeah. But it, it'd be interesting with the urgency up because Fox is kind of ailing a little bit. Are they going to be able to, to stay disciplined with that kind of challenge? Yeah, they got to. <laughs> I mean, they want any chance of winning the series. I mean, I mean, it's not even if they want to win more games. I mean, Fox broke his finger. I mean, it's it's important in game five, of course, but it's like man, his his finger's broken. If they they make it in the playoffs, they somehow win this game and win the series. They're gonna have to deal with the same thing next series, unless his hand really isn't bothering him, and we're just overblowing this, which I doubt it. Um, they're gonna have to figure it out for m- more than just this game, this important game five, whether he, Fox plays or not. They're going to be dealing with now an injured deer and fox going forward. That's true. And they've responded to challenges before, and it's just this is this is very difficult. We'll see. But getting up good shots and not expecting foul calls is probably a good place to start. Yeah, hundred percent, it is. Let's hope they yeah. can do that. Oh, another thing that cost them the game in terms of an experience was on two like two straight possessions, I Ugh. think. Yeah, uh, I think it they was just too. gave far too much space. The Con- Kentucky connection, <laughs> Fox and Monk back to back, gave Curry and then Clay far too too much space. The Curry one was quite egregious. Um, yeah, that was terrible. That was just a terrible route. Both of them just took terrible routes to the ball. That that might be an experience, but also, and Mike Brown kind of posited this in the post game press conference. That might have been a little bit of fatigue whether mental or physical is that do you think that was something that was wearing on them or was that such a slugfest on the road that a few days off that gets a little better because those were just i don't expect them to make those mistakes again those were so bad that's sick like as mike brown said to put in another perspective that's six points in a game that finished with a one-point margin yeah i mean i don't know that that fox one was pretty bad just like dude it's Steph Curry. <laughs> Stay on him. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't expect him to make those mistakes. And maybe it's just maybe it's these games are going to mean a little more going forward. Maybe they'll be a little more sharp. Like that game was like, ah, even if we lose, it's two two. It's not like we're going down three one like they would. I mean, they they better not make those same mistakes because yeah, they missed those two shots. Kings could. I mean, technically, have won by four, right, or five, four. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> they missed one. I mean, the, the but the the thing is, is it's like, is there a fatigue factor? Because it wasn't just those two plays. There were a couple transition plays. I think one where Clay just took it all the way coast to coast, and there's just nobody was on top of stopping the ball. That's not like Clay's a burner, you know? Yeah, that's true. So it's just like, and Thompson had a, a decent game. I mean, he had a really good game actually, um, but. Come on, that stuff can't happen. And they'd been pretty decent at transition transition defense really all season and in the playoffs. So it was kind of bizarre to kind of just see them drop off like that. And uh, I wonder mm-hmm. if it was just – it seemed like fatigue in some way or another had to play into it. But I wonder if it was fatigue in the moment or fatigue overall at this point, you know, playing at that point game 86 going on game 87. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be. It didn't seem fatigued to me. I never really thought about fatigue. Well, it's interesting, too, because I feel like on the notion of fatigue, it's like 
that could easily be extended to the Warriors too, because Curry played like 42 minutes, mm-hmm. and the buzz in Bay Area media is just like, whoa, like, is he going to be able to do that? I guess in the same sense as the Fox thing, it's like if they get beyond the series, it's not just about getting beyond the series. It's about what happens after that too. So I don't know, but it, it almost felt like more of a mental fatigue for the Kings. Um, yeah, I would say it'd be more mental than physical. And that, that could easily be the, inexper- it could going back to it, it could be the inexperience of just kind of getting lost in the moment mm-hmm. because in combination with those and the mistakes on offense, of bad shot selection and whatnot, all of those kind of compiled into just this pile of mistakes. I mean, the Warriors made mistakes too. Draymond, after the game, said he gave Fox too much space on that late three, and they called the timeout when they didn't have it. Kevon Looney had a couple moving screens in the game. He had one late, and then they Steve Kerr decided to challenge it. Steve Kerr and Mike Brown remind me so much. Of, they're, just, they're one in the same in just so many different ways. Listening <laughs> to Steve Kerr in post-game press conferences, crediting other guys, being friendly and funny with the media, all that stuff. They're the same. And in in the same way, they both make terrible decisions to challenge calls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why he thought he was going to win that. I think the interesting thing was was Curry calling that timeout because that just seems so unlike him for a guy that has so much experience. And Steve Kerr tried to take credit for it afterwards, which again reminded me of Mike Brown. He's like, oh, that's my fault. You know, I should have told the guys that we didn't have any timeouts coming out of the huddle. And yeah, maybe he should have said that, but it's like Kerr and Mike Brown say it all the time. Like, and Popovich said it. It's like, at the end of the day, these players are great and they kind of have, things have to come from within. And like Steph Curry just dropped the ball there. Dan was paid for it too. Imagine if the Kings won that game. Because of that play, that'd be iconic. Yeah, that'd be- especially after that Fox three, it's like, oof. <laughs> like, whoa. Seriously, that's why I was so they- upset when they missed that. When they missed the game winner, it made me just extra upset. I'm like, oh man, that could have been one of the craziest comebacks. That was such a just a battle, <laughs> but it was that's just riddled with game. so many mistakes in the last five or six minutes. It's oh, just like they they just they had plenty of opportunities and they blew a lot of them down the stretch. It was rough. I mean, I lost them in the game. It was a slugfest, but geez, a lot of sloppy play too. Game, man, game five. <laughs> it's going to be crazy at home too. Man, that's a game I would want to go to. That's going to be intense. Yeah. There's something to be said. Again, how we kind of started the podcast, the series doesn't start until a road team wins. And it just kind of seems like the home crowd has been a lot of the difference maker. Like, the Kings really played so well in front of the home crowd in their first two games. Game three, the home crowd helped the Warriors kind of punch the Kings first and ultimately, you know, win that game pretty handily. Um, And then game four was so close. Again, the home team won. It just feels like, I mean, obviously I would say that turnovers seems to be the main kind of thing. If you can limit the King, the Warriors turnovers, I mean, if the Warriors limit their turnovers, they put themselves in a position to win. If the Warrior, if you can force the Warriors to commit turnovers, you're putting yourself in a in a great position to win as the Kings. And I think that's a big difference maker. But even that could come down to home versus road. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. a huge differential during the season for the Warriors. I think they only committed about one more turnover per game on the road as opposed to home. And turnovers have just kind of been an issue overall. But it'd be interesting to see how much being on the other floor affects that because the Warriors did a really good job of 
limiting their turnovers and the home crowd's just been so big in each of these games i wonder if that'll tip the balance in any way or if that played any part in the stark contrast between their ball security in the first two games as opposed to the previous two i still feel good going back home just because i mean i was nervous going into the series i was nervous and then we won the first two i'm like okay so it's like kind of going back home it's like yeah the warriors might have just beat us twice while we were on the road but it's like they kind of like those first two games. I mean, the first game was closed. The second one was more of like, okay, we kind of take care of business a little better. But it's like they're kind of shown showing why they were just so bad on the road, um, and so that that makes me optimistic about returning back home, even with Fox's injury. It's like these they might be the reigning champions, but they were bad on the road during the regular season, and they they didn't win. They haven't won a game on the road yet in the playoffs, so. I'm definitely optimistic about game five and I guess game seven, if it reaches. I mean, the Warriors have to, they know it. They, they put themselves in a position where they have to at least win one in Sacramento. And that is at least proven so far to be a monumental task. But Kevin Herter also said between games three and four that he and the guys feel like they got to win one in San Francisco just to avoid kind of that game seven. Because I feel like you saw it down the stretch in game four, you just get to that really peak moment at the end of game seven. The inexperience, you'd, you'd have to really worry about it at that point. I think one of the things that was interesting coming into the playoffs is we were talking about who can be, as we call it, the enforcer. And kind of alluding to not necessarily a complete replica of Draymond because there's really no one quite like Draymond, as we know. Um, but kind of being that fiery guy um, and we saw Fox bark at Draymond a bit, I think, in that first quarter. And it just kind of seems like Fox could be that guy. And uh, Draymond, after the game, was like, yeah, he's just standing up for his guy because that was right after Keegan Murray had gotten poked in the eye by Draymond, mm-hmm. probably pretty inver- inadvertently. But Draymond also had said that he'd made it a point to get a technical early. So I don't know. I just kind of back to the point there. It just seems like Fox more than just kind of being a guy that takes over on the floor. Um, And we've seen his leadership really shine this season. It kind of seems like he could take that step up to be that, like, really enforcer status. For sure. I mean, just after seeing him jaw with Draymond, it was was nice to see Fox do that. And, I mean, he's by far been the best player on the court for the Kings, too. And I know, like, there's a difference between a leader and an enforcer, but... I mean, I, he just seems like the guy to do it. He kind of seems like more no-nonsense sometimes when he's on the court than others. And I would love to see Fox be the enforcer too, just because I feel like being the enforcer and one of the better players on the floor, it puts a lot more pressure on you. And Fox, he just he thrives under pressure. We, I mean, we see him do it in the fourth quarter in clutch and when the game matters and in the playoffs so far. If he can put extra pressure on him by being that enforcer, and like he was like talking to Draymond, you know, join with him, like, you don't want to see like uh, Fox go after Draymond and then just like score twelve points. Such a bad luck. But no, he goes out and drops thirty eight on him. It's like perfect. Like this is the guy who should do it, and it seems like he can do it. Yeah, and I think Mike Brown wants him to do it. I mean, him or Domas. I don't remember what game it was. Maybe like near the end of the regular season. It might have been the game they lost against Minnesota, where they could have clinched at home. But it was some kind of disappointing loss like that. And Mike Brown was like, it's on Fox and Sabonis to 
expect more of their teammates to kind of make them more accountable. Kind of with that whole uh, philosophy of having things and leadership come from within because the head coach can only do so much. So Mike Brown wants it. And I just feel like Fox can really, and he's already kind of there. He just feels like the, the closest thing to that type of leader. And just a little bit of intense playoff basketball can, I think, really help him kind of push along in the right direction in that regard. Yeah, I do too. It's good for him. But like talking about Draymond Green, we came into this podcast talking about like how last week things felt completely different in that the Kings were up 2-0 and they were going into game three without Draymond Green. And they played game three not only without Draymond Green, but without GP2. Everything was kind of set up as a nice opportunity. And, you know, the Warriors came out and played extremely well and hit the, the Kings first and pretty hard. And Traymond gave, I guess, like some speech. It really kind of brought the team together. Um, and then he made this resounding return to the floor. Like we just said, he gets that double technical called, kind of lights a fire underneath guys, and then comes in in the second half and makes a defensive impact in the game. Um, as much as it seemed like it was a advantage for the Kings, it really kind of seemed like an advantage for the Warriors in the end, no? Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like it. He They won game three regardless with him or, or without him, clearly. They won without him. And then he got them all fired up for game four. And I think it's just going to add the fuel to the fire for the rest of the game or of the series now. And I think it's going to make the Warriors fans, you know, we were talking about um, home court advantage. I mean, every time Sabonis was touching the ball too, um, he was getting booed. I don't know if that affects him really or anything, but it definitely gets the fans and the team a lot more into the series uh, when something like that happens against one of your players. Yeah. So Sabonis said it didn't affect him personally, but yeah, that um, I think you're right. It gets a buzz in the building and it gives the energy in the right direction for the home team. But it'd be interesting to see how things play out because I think the setting changing is going to really limit that. But just the way things went in games three and four, they, you, you can look at it either way. It's like that either gave an advantage to the Warriors or the Kings did not take uh, take advantage of an opportunity. Um, do you see it in any way more than the other way? Man, was, it was either the Kings didn't take advantage or what? Or the... You know, it just, it was, the whole thing was just beneficial for the Warriors no matter what. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how really how to see it, to be honest. Like, I felt like the Warriors, I feel like they were going to win game three with or without Draymond. It's like, they're, I mean, they were, they're the defending champs at home. Like, you really think Steph Curry is going to go down 3-0 for the first time in his career to the Kings? I, I, I just, I didn't see that happening. And then game four, I mean, it was a close game regardless. Um, I don't know. I don't, th- I mean, I think the Kings could, I mean, you could obviously say the Kings didn't take advantage of it, of Draymond being out, but at the same time for me, I'm like, man, even if Draymond was there, I, I mean, they got blown out regardless, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. I think honestly, Draymond just feeds off that. I mean, like, he came back and he wanted to get a technical. He said he wanted to let people know 
you know, that he's not going to change, which regardless of what you think about it, it seems like that worked out for everybody involved on the Warriors. And I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. It's interesting how so many things can change and shift so quickly. And uh, Yeah. I mean, it benefited the Warriors, of course, but it's like, those were also two games at home. And it's like, yeah. I feel like we can say the same thing once the Kings get back at home. It's like, I don't know. Like we saw Fox. He he started. He got a little chip on his shoulder too from all this. I'm assuming, and Sabonis will uh, will too. Now I'm interested to see how they respond at their home court now with all that's happened. Like, and they responded well in the one game too from that incident with Draymond. Like they won that mm-hmm. game. So I mean, I, I definitely benefit the Warriors since he's been suspended. But I don't know. I, I'm waiting for the series to end to see i guess i mean whoever wins i guess benefits the most i i just think i think it can benefit the kings just as much i just think it, it's been a little overshadowed that draymond got a return at home and the warriors won both games talking about that entertainment value it's it's high yeah super high it's up there i know i'm so bummed there's like two days off between games i'm like oh man wednesday let's play tuesday I feel, like I, need, I feel like I feel like I feel like I need the break. <laughs> I, I can't. Like I'm like, I feel sore the next day. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, take it easy. I say, just keep watching. Like, man, I, it was. It's funny. It's just like, yeah, of course I miss the Kings being in the playoffs, but like I'm a diehard fan, right? So it's like when they lose, especially like when they lose, I'm not happy. But it's like watching them lose. Like watching them lose on um, Game Three was like, man, this sucks. But it's like whatever you got killed and it's just frustrating it's like it's easier to get over but it's like after after that barnes miss i'm just like i was just like sitting like leaned over against like my counter i'm like oh my god like you like of course you don't miss that feeling but it just comes with the intensity right so it's like of course i miss them them being in the playoffs but that's just like a feeling i haven't had in so long regarding the kings and it's like man so it's like i can only imagine how i'm gonna feel like during a game seven or something like that, it's gonna be. Ah, uh, I don't know. It's just like I said. I said this last week. It's just this is all new experiences for me as an adult, and it never happens. I mean, closing out here, um, going into game five. Kings win two, Warriors win two, tied two two. If I do my math correctly, I think. I guess there's two ways to look at this. I feel like there's an optimistic view for the Kings and a very like concerning viewpoint for the Kings. Uh, and I think there's kind of fair points on both sides. You want to go through reasons to be kind of optimistic going forward and maybe reasons to be concerned? Yeah. So on my end, reasons to be optimistic, you have home court advantage. I mean, that's Warriors are terrible on the road and we've only shown that home teams will win these games. So that's a good reason to be optimistic. And even if, and but the Kings also showed in game four that if they need to win on the road, that they might be able to. So, I mean, I think if, if they lose for some reason on in game five, then I think they showed a good, they showed that they can duke it out with the Warriors and take one on the road if needed. Um, and I guess another reason to be optimistic is that the Kings are still, like, even in that game four, I don't really even want to talk about game three. <laughs> I don't think there's really any reason to be optimistic after game three. Um, but, I mean, game four, like, you're, you're still losing by one with Herter and Murray. Or it's not Murray, sorry. Herter and Barnes having the games they did. It's just like, man, if the starters 
if the starters can just all play like good basketball as a unit, I mean, I think the Kings win this. I, I, I think if Herder as was shooting the ball well all series, we could have swept, honestly. Okay, maybe not game three. The game is terrible. But it's like if that dude just – and Barnes – I mean, Barnes has been good, but he, he just did not have that good game four. So if they can all collectively put in a good game, I think they win the game. And it's something we've seen them do as a group several a, a lot of times during the season. So it's definitely uncharacteristic when two guys are off, let alone sometimes three with like the way Murray was playing the first couple games. Um, so that makes me optimistic too. I think Herter can find it. He has that experience. If we can get his scoring back, I mean, it seems like we can win the games. Um, and I don't expect Barnes to have many games like he did in game four. So those are my biggest reasons to be optimistic reasons to be pessimistic um you're playing the defending champions you're playing steph curry um at times it just seems like the kings do not have an answer for the warriors offense when steph curry's out there and they just get any bucket they want usually a lot of open lanes to the basket that's been kind of concerning for me and if they can if they can stop him like two more times then not let that happen for the majority of a game, not the majority, but when it matters, um, inexperience, of course, of the Kings, that kind of goes with the Warriors being the defending champions, I suppose. Um, and I mean, I think the biggest one right now is, is Fox's finger. I mean, that's how concerned should we be? And I mean, I think at the answer with as little as we know, other than the tip of his finger being broken, it's like, should be kind of worried or at least a little. Yeah. I don't think I need to add anything for the optimism thing. Like home court advantage, that whole thing. The fact that certain guys haven't even stepped up and you still won two games and played really close in game four. Um, also, I would say like you have to think about like the Warriors got great games from their four top scorers. Jordan Poole finally showed up. Clay Thompson had a great game on both sides of the ball. So did Andrew Wiggins, even though he only had 18 points. Only 18 points, though. That's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then Steph Curry, Steph Curry. Um, are all four of them going to be able to fire it up? I mean, against a team that did not have all their weapons firing it off? I mean, you kind of have that advantage, too. But kind of honing in on the pessimistic thing, I kind of alluded to it earlier. As much as I think it can come down to the home floor, and we'll see in this regard if it does, in fact, come down to the home floor as to what happens with turnovers in Game 5, but Steve Kerr talked about how with Draymond like not playing in game three and then playing basically a four-guard lineup, uh, they noticed that that really helped with the turnover difficulty because it spread the floor out more. It provided more spacing. And if the Warriors all of a sudden have a handle on their turnovers, that that can be – I think that's really – comes down to the difference in the game because i think at this point the warriors are going to be physical the kings are going to be physical and i feel like the physicality will kind of be matching up against each other much like you saw in game four it was pretty close maybe the edge went to the kings but i don't know if it'll make as much of a difference as it did in the first three games now that's after one game and i was really thinking that that was the key to it but i think it comes down to turnovers and not really necessarily because the Kings had less turnovers than the Warriors in game four, but only by one, I think. And it was only like a difference of three points off those turnovers. 
-hmm. but it was really about the fact that the Warriors only had 11 turnovers in both games, three and four at home. And if the turnovers were in fact, or the limited turnovers were, were in fact because they figured out something to do with spacing and they, 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 they tinkered some issue. That's that, 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 and that very well could be the thing. That's kind of the biggest reason to be a little concerned. Because if the Warriors, I think you need to force the Warriors into turnovers. That's been their biggest issue all season, really. And if they, they have that under wraps, you know, then you start talking about the weapons they have, the experience, all these things. And I, I think that that can, can kind of be kind of zeroed in on as kind of a main factor. And the Warriors have shown that they may have a handle on it, but it'll be interesting to see if things change with the settings changing to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, they look like a different team back at home. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Not I, totally, I, I, but I mean like Steph started going off the home crowd was into it. That seemed like a big factor, even on the Kings's end. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, let's see if they can continue and, their low turnovers on the road. Like I, like I said, I cannot wait until game five. I really wish they were playing today. Yeah, but, it's a you gotta you gotta gotta wait though. You know, build it up. You know. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah, build, big build up, biggest <laughs> biggest game in the Golden One Center history. Clearly, I mean, we'll keep saying that every game, right? But um, I I can't wait to see that crowd. In game five, it's going to be. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's it was electric game ones and two, but man, especially with with the you don't need a win. I wouldn't say it's completely a must win in that regard, but it's like you really want to win, and Kings fans are going to make that known, especially with Draymond coming back to sack too. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You, did you say you don't think game five is a must win for the Kings? I th no. I like yeah, I, if really? we're talking if we're talking must wins. Like I'm not I'm not trying to like I'm not like I do I really 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 want the Kings to win. Yes, would I say it's a must win? I don't. I don't think it's a must win game. Huh. So you 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 would not have an issue with the Warriors winning three straight and having an opportunity to close out on their home floor. I mean, I would have an issue with that. I just don't think it's a must win. Yeah, I think it is a must-win. I, I think uh, for exactly that reason. I just think that's fair. You Maybe. have to, and, and just the whole notion of just like a series does not start until that road team wins, and it, it just—it's so I, important for the Kings to win this game. I think I just see this series going seven games, regardless. I don't know. I just thinking if the King, if the Warriors win, I mean, clearly if the Warriors win on in Game Five, it'd be easier for them to say they'll win Game Six. Um, than the Kings winning in game six. I don't know. I just seem, it just seems like, I don't know. I just, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just the definitions in my head of a must win, but you're not, you're not completely out of it. You can still come back three, two. It, clearly it's like, there's differences in this or yeah, the King, the Warriors are going to have one, three straight. Um, and they're going to go back home. But it's like, I don't know. I could see the Kings winning on the road. I don't think the Kings... I, I just see this game... I see the series going Game 7, regardless. That's why maybe I'm not saying it's a must-win. Whether the Kings win on Game 5 or not, I think this series is going seven games. Hmm. I, I would just say that one of the common things that the Warriors throughout the years have been compared to, both in the context of 
a single game, a moment in a game, and kind of a moment in a series is they tend to avalanche and it becomes overwhelming. And I just think that that kind of momentum, I mean, I don't think the momentum's in the Warriors' corner now. I think it's still kind of up in the air because it's just all the home teams have won. But it's just, once that happens, I feel like that initiates an avalanche. Now the Kings could prove it wrong, but I think that that's not a position that the the Kings would want to be in. I really think that that's a severe disadvantage. Yes. But we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of torn up on this Fox issue still on who will take game five and how big of a deal it is. Because if Fox doesn't play, oof. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the thing we've said all series coming into the series, even switching settings in between games, you know, two and three, even now going into game five, it's just a lot of question marks. It's hard to say for sure. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fun, though. It's going to be a fun, like I said, I think there's going to be three more games, so it's going to be crazy. And like I said, there will be three more games if the Kings win game five. There we go. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I'm not doubting you. No, who who fucking knows and who cares? Exactly. <laughs> but all right. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's pretty much everything. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hopefully uh, we can still talk about how the Kings are in the playoffs. When, when would game seven be? Because I know game six would be on Friday. So would game seven be on Sunday? Yeah. So it would we be might Sunday. not even talk until the series is over. So if we don't. Well, then we'll have a lot to talk about next week. <laughs> or, we'll or, or very little. Where do the Kings go from here? <laughs> it's officially the off season. It's like the worst time to do the podcast. But anyway, good luck to us <laughs> going forward. It's going to be a crazy three games to end it. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one. <laughs>